Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome into the house of the Lord for worship this morning. We are so, so delighted to be with you. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And we are excited to be entering into the season of Advent this morning. And so that's what the, the Advent wreath up here is for. We're going to be talking about this throughout the next several weeks. We're just excited to be journeying into this season together with you. If you're joining us online this morning, I want to remind you at our 9 o'clock service, we have online hosts who are available for you all throughout the service. They'd love to answer your questions. They'd love to pray with you. We want you to feel connected to this community and what God is doing in this place, whether you can be here or not. So whatever you are going through, wherever you are today, we want you to get connected and feel cared for. So I encourage you, participate in that chat. You can create a login so we know that you're with us. Um, and as I said, please allow our host to pray with you if there are things on your heart that we can come alongside you in. Well, this morning, as I mentioned, is the first Sunday of the season of Advent, which actually marks the beginning of the liturgical Christian calendar. So, Happy New Year. It's amazing. I feel like we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and then here we are, already at the new year. But the word Advent actually means arrival. And so, throughout the next four weeks, we're going to be anticipating the arrival, the coming of Jesus first in his first Advent as a baby in Bethlehem, and then ultimately anticipating his final coming when he comes in glory. Advent is a season of waiting. We wait as we remember the hundreds of years that Israel waited for Jesus the first time that he came. We wait on Jesus in our everyday lives. We wait for him to work and to move. And as I said, we wait for his ultimate advent, his final coming. This is a season of anticipation and preparation. So as we worship together throughout the next several weeks, let us each consider how we might prepare him room in our hearts and in our lives as we anticipate his coming. Let's worship together this morning. I'd love to invite you to stand as you are able in body or in spirit for our call to worship. Our call to worship comes from Isaiah 41 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the God of the Lord shall be revealed. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken.
Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me song, melodious song, sung by flaming times above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of that redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, thither by thy help I'm come. When I hope I thy good pleasure, safely to arrive at home. Jesus saw me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to God of hope. Today, on the first Sunday of Advent, we will light the prophet's candle, which is also known as the candle of hope. Before Jesus came as a baby, before the word became flesh and dwelt among us, God's people waited for hundreds of years for the anointed one, the Christ. During that long and agonizing time of waiting, through tribulations and exile, the prophets of God continued to proclaim hope to his people. They announced that one would come who would set all things right, and humanity and all of creation would be redeemed and restored to perfect communion with God. Today, we read the words of the prophet Isaiah as he declares hope to the people of God. Isaiah 7:14 and Isaiah 9, 2, 6 through 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Thanks be to God.
you for the season that we're in. And Lord, we live in, in expectation of um, the season to come. Lord, we know that where we're at, there you are. And so we ask that you would move in this congregation this morning. We ask that you would move in and through this congregation in this season. Lord, that you would allow us to live in a manner worthy and fully pleasing to you. Um, Lord, that we could move and, and live and breathe and think um, in the way that you would have us do. We pray that this morning your, your words would move through Tim and that this congregation would be open um, and willing um, to, to respond to the message that you have, us, have for us this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook Community Church. We are so glad that you are with us today. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Richard. I'm the lead pastor here at Springbrook, and we want to extend a special welcome to you. If you're a regular attender at Springbrook, we are glad that you are with us as well. It's good to see everybody. And it's exciting to see how many of you are joining with us online this morning. I know we have uh, people here at Springbrook in person with us that are visiting as far away as northern Wisconsin, as far as I know. If you're watching online with us this morning, just put a little note in the chat. Let us know where you're watching from. I think uh, there's a lot of people traveling this weekend. We're glad that you can be with us online. Uh, But be sure to uh, say hello in the chat if you're here with us in person this morning. You've got that connection card in your chair. So if you could just take that out uh, for a moment, put your first and last name on there, the names of any adults that might be with you. And uh, there's a place for you to drop that off uh, in the back. But we are so glad that you are with us um, this morning. Also, just want to let you know, ladies, we have our Christmas tea coming up. It's going to be on December 10th right here at Springbrook. Our registration for that event is going to be closing next week. And so if you have not yet registered for that, um, you'll want to do that uh, soon. So far, I think we've got about 30, almost 40 ladies have registered for that. So if you're interested, you know, you have questions, uh, please be sure to, uh, to visit our website and uh, get registered for that. And then uh, we have our angels and our stars out in the lobby. And uh, last weekend, we, we rolled those out. And I think there are two, two left. And so I just want to thank you for your generosity. This is a great opportunity for us uh, to extend and share the love of Christ with kids uh, in our community as we move into the uh, Christmas season. And so if you did take one of those angels or stars, just remember those are due back uh, here by December 11th. Um, so those need to be wrapped, and then we'll be getting those to the kids prior to Christmas. And so if you have any questions about that, you can be sure to uh, visit our website. Uh, we'll have some information for you there. And then we are kicking off today uh, an Advent Bible reading plan as a church. And so I think there's probably about 30 of you have already signed up for that. But if you want to read along with us, 
uh, doing some daily devotions uh, with us together as we move towards Christmas. You can sign up for that daily Bible reading plan on the YouVersion Bible app. If you just go to springbrook.org slash Bible plan, uh, you'll be able to sign up for that. But it's encouraging to be able to read some passages together and celebrate as we prepare our hearts and minds uh, for Christmas. As Christ followers, we can celebrate the birth of Christ any day, right? Uh, but there's something special about being able to do that corporately as we gather together uh, for this special time of the year. And then uh, lastly, I wanted to let you know that we are kicking off our, our spring break year and offering this weekend. Um, we are about finished with our budget for next year. We have some exciting things that we're looking at as we move into the next year. We've got a new position uh, for worship production that we're going to be looking at. Um, we've got some exciting things that we're doing from a staff and from a missions perspective. And so if you want to know more about that, you can go to springbrook.org slash year end. Uh, we've got some information for you about that. Uh, but if you'd like to contribute uh, to our year-end offering, uh, that is open now, and that will position us well for all that God has for us as we move into 2023. And so I just want to thank you for your generosity, for your commitment to the work God's doing here. Uh, we're excited about all that God has for us as we move towards uh, the end of this year and prepare for what he has for us next year. Uh, we are glad that you are with us this morning. Pastor Tim's going to be out uh, in just a moment, but we're glad you're with us today. Well, good morning. I hope you all enjoyed a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, it's certainly true that we have so much to be thankful for, and uh, perhaps you took time uh, around your tables or with those that you were gathered with to uh, reflect on some of the things, some of the many things uh, uh, that we have been blessed with, the privileges that we enjoy, the things for which we can be thankful. But you know, one of the greatest dangers to thanksgiving is fear. One of the greatest uh, uh, um, obstacles to us uh, having a life that is characterized by thanksgiving is, is fear. Because, you see, it's easy to become overwhelmed by things around us. And let's be honest, everywhere we look in our community, everywhere we look in our state, in our nation, around the world, there are things that are fearful to many people. Whether it be that they are fearful over uh, political dynamics, whether they are fearful over um, inflation and the rising costs of things and whether or not they'll be able to provide, whether there's fear as we watch and continue to hear about the, uh, the war taking place in Ukraine. There are all sorts of different things to be fearful of. And of course, even in our individual lives, there are circumstances and situations that arise that often seem so unwelcome and so unexpected that lead to fear. And in the face of fear, it's very difficult to give thanks. But if, if, if 
the obstacle to giving thanks is fear. The remedy to fear is hope. Uh, But the problem is that in the midst of this community, in the midst of this culture in which we live, in the face of fear, people are looking to all sorts of things to put their hope in them, but only to find that the things that they're looking to don't satisfy. They don't sustain them. They don't actually produce what is needed in the face of fear. And so what happens is when we find that something that we had hoped in Something that we had trusted in was in fact a false hope, an inadequate hope. Then that fear deepens. As we enter into this Advent season, it is right and appropriate that we stop and that we think about where it is that we are putting our hope. You see, as the prophet Isaiah wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit some 2,700 years ago. He wrote to a people who were fearful. And they were fearful for what appeared on the surface to be good reason. You see, well, what had happened was that there were some nations, surrounding nations that were threatening to invade the land of Judah. And the king of Judah, a man by the name of Ahaz, was trying to figure out what to do in the face of this threat. And so God sent the prophet Isaiah to him. And and he set before him, in a sense, a, a choice. You can either put your hope, your confidence in a strategic alliance with the king of Assyria. And think that if you pay him, then, then he will be able to be your personal bodyguard against these other nations. Or you can put your hope and your confidence in God. And Ahaz responded to the prophet Isaiah, trying to sound kind of spiritual in his response. But ultimately exposing the fact, thanks very much, but I'm going to trust In the king of Assyria. I'm going to trust in his military might. And over the coming years. The people of Judah. And the king himself. Began to experience. The brokenness. And the hopelessness. That comes. From rejecting. Their God. And trusting in something that cannot sustain them. So I ask again, the question, in fact, that really the people of Judah had set before them, where are you placing your hope? Now, we're gathered here on a Sunday morning. We're here in a church or joining online. And we probably all know what the Sunday school answer to that is. But one of the things that I've come to learn is the fact that sometimes our spoken theology and our lived theology look very different from one another. So I want to invite you this morning to join me in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Beginning in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. As there we are going to see how God 
foretold the coming of Christ, even 700 plus years before the events of Bethlehem, in order to remind his people to put their hope in the right place, to put their hope in him. Isaiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 11, we read these words. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. That certainly sounds like a relevant passage, doesn't it? You didn't know they had cable news uh, back then. But the Lord of hosts, him... Him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. What he's explaining here is the fact that we are to put our hope in God. We're not to do as the people around us are doing, but put your hope in God. But, but there's a sense in which what God is doing, the way that he is working, is going to be a divide. He's going to set a dividing line. In fact, uh, this even here is a, a prophetic word speaking about what Jesus would do, that he would become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That is, that he is the one that people trip over. See, a lot of people are happy with saying, oh, I believe in God. But when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ and our need to surrender our lives to him, that becomes a dividing line. And all through Jesus' ministry, all through his earthly ministry, he became a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, a dividing line amongst the people just as he still remains today. It goes on and says, bind up testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. And so there's the acknowledgement here of the fact that as I look around, it seems like God is nowhere to be seen. As I look at the situation that's going on in our community, in our culture, in our society, as I look at the brokenness all around, sometimes it just feels like I can't see what God is doing. He says, even, even when his face seems to be hidden, I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children who the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel for the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. That is, that if they, if they are looking for truth, if they are looking for perspective anywhere apart from in God himself and his revealed word, they have no hope and they have no future. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and they will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And they will turn their faces upward and they will look on the earth 
but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And what he's explaining here is that when people refuse the things of God and seek to put their hope in things that cannot satisfy, here's what happens. They find that it doesn't satisfy, and then they become more fearful, and they become angry at God who they had rejected. Again, we certainly don't have to look too far to see the reality of that. But what is being instructed here in this portion in Isaiah chapter 8 as we prepare to move into that great and familiar prophetic passage that we even heard read a moment ago at the Advent candle lighting. The instruction here is do not fear what the world fears, but instead fear the Lord and, and hope in Him. See, there are all sorts of things that people who are apart from God fear. But we actually don't have to be super familiar with everything that people who are apart from God fear. Rather, the people who uh, don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, who don't profess Him, ought to be familiar with what we fear. Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ are to live in such a way that what we fear is clear and plain to see. And that our fear is in the Lord, God of heaven, and our hope is in him. And so, we might well ask, where are we putting our hope? Or where are we putting our fear? Is it evident? Again, sometimes the danger is that we profess something with our lips, but our lives demonstrate something else. We gather together on a Sunday morning and we say, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And then we leave here. And every time something comes up, our response to it is no different than those who were setting their hope on that which is failing. So how do we set our hope in the right place? Why should we have hope in the Lord our God? What kind of hope is it and how is it fulfilled? How does it sustain us? Well, it is the hope that we have in God that is most gloriously put on display in this Advent season, this time of Christmas, this time of preparation, of looking forward. And so, after first instructing the people, do not fear what the, what the world fears, but instead fear the Lord and put your hope in Him. We immediately come to the next portion of this passage, beginning in chapter 9, verse 1. And there, we see that God is faithful, and his hope is sure. We read these words beginning in verse 1, but there will be no gloom. You notice at the end of, uh, of uh, chapter 8, it says, behold, there is distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Now he says, but there is no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness, 
They have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And so we're reminded that our God is faithful, that his hope is sure, but, but his hope is not like the, the ideas of hope that, that those who are apart from the Lord have. In fact, in this passage, in fact, over the last couple of chapters within the book of Isaiah, if we had time to travel there, we would see that what is being held forth is the fact that amongst the people of Judah, there is a small remnant. While everybody else is pursuing their own thing out of fear, looking for hope but finding only darkness, there is a small remnant who are saying, we will trust in the name of of the Lord our God, and in Him we will place our hope. And to them, God describes His coming hope. And the first thing that we see in, in verse 1 of chapter 9 is that God's hope brings glorious restoration. Now, one of the challenges that we have when we're especially dealing with a prophetic book of Scripture like this is that sometimes we can read it and it's like, I, I, I don't get it. Um, uh, when he says there will be no more gloom or anguish for, uh, for her who was in anguish. And then in former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But now he has made glorious the way of the land beyond the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. We, we wonder what it is that he's talking about. But you see, when the people of Israel first came out of captivity in Egypt, and later they, they came in and took possession of the promised land. The land of Israel was then subdivided by the different clans, the different tribes of Israel. And each of those tribes was given an allotment, an area that would belong to them and to their descendants. And, and two of those were Zebulun and Naphtali. But here it says that Zebulun and Naphtali had become a place of shame, a place of anguish. And the reason for that is what had happened was Ahaz, uh, the king of Judah, had put his confidence in the king of Assyria to be his personal bodyguard to guard against these potential invading armies. And you know what Ahaz, uh, what the king of Assyria did in response? He came in and invaded. And the first place that he went into was Zebulun and Naphtali. And so now, Zebulun and Naphtali, this region of the land has become a place of scorn, a place of embarrassment, a place of anguish and of pain. God says, those who put their hope in me, I will take their places of shame, their places of embarrassment, their places of anguish, and I will make them glorious. And even here in this passage, he's already pointing to what he would do some 700 years later because he's talking about the fact that he will make it glorious in the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Well, where did Jesus spend most of his earthly ministry? In Galilee. Where is he going to send the very Son of God to Galilee, that place that was shameful, that place that was embarrassing. Because you see, when our hope is in God, we will soon discover that God is in the business of taking that which is broken, that which is shameful, that which is painful, that which everybody else rejects. 
And he delights to restore and make it beautiful. I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, Michelangelo's sculpture of David, one of the great pieces of art throughout history. Uh, Michelangelo was not the first person to come across this piece of marble from which he carved this masterpiece. In fact, this particular block of marble had been rejected and, and, and thrown out by two previous sculptors. They had looked at it and they said, no, it's got too many imperfections. No, there's too many issues with this. No, it's ugly. There's nothing that we can do with it. But Michelangelo literally came across it in a dumpster. And he carved this masterpiece out of it. I don't know how you are feeling. If you are in a place right now where you feel like there is nothing redeemable about you. That you feel like you have been rejected. That you feel like you have been disposed of by others. That as you look back on that pain that seems to remind you it's there every single morning. And you feel like you have no hope for anything better. But to a people who were in anguish and uncertainty, a people who did not know where to turn or where to look, God says, I will Make glorious that which others think of as shameful. And I want to let you know whether you're here this morning in person or watching online. That God does not make junk. And that there is nothing in your life that he does not stand ready to bring beauty from. If you will just put your hope in him. He goes on to explain that God's hope also brings light from darkness. As we heard read earlier, as we see here, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Now, one of the things I want you to notice, if you look down through this passage that we're in this morning, is, is that God is speaking of things that are not yet as if they are already are because of the certainty that they will be. Uh, this is a prophetic word that is being given about what God is going to do, but he's declaring it as something already completed. He says, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. See, apart from God, when, when we are surrounded, in a sense, by fearful things, by uncertainty, when we are setting our hope on things apart from God, it is like we are sort of groping around in a dark Place, hoping to find a way out, but not being able to even see where we are. And in the midst of that, God says, I have shone a great 
lights. Now, this idea of light and darkness, especially by the time we get to the New Testament, is used frequently. And uh, it often has to do with the light of God's presence. The light of his presence. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus stands up at a great festival. He declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So even here, this passage is pointing us to this light that is shone in the promised one, the Messiah who is to come. More than that, God's hope also brings joy. And so uh, through the prophet here, God is, in a sense, describing his coming hope. What will it be like? It will be like a place where there is no anguish because there is instead that which is made glorious. A place where there is not darkness because God's light will shine. A place where there will be joy increasing. Because in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy, and that is a joy that goes beyond the circumstance, not simply a happiness in that particular moment, but a deep and abiding joy, a satisfaction of soul that God says, I will bring to those who put their hope fully in me, because it is a joyful thing to know that you are standing secure even when everything around may be shifting and uncertain. And then he also explains that when God's hope is fulfilled, there will be freedom. And so in the first couple of verses, we see that God is, is in a sense, describing what will happen. And now he's explaining how it will come about. Because in verse 4, he explains that there will be, there will be a release. Uh, for, as the, uh, for the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And this is talking about the fact that, that there will be freedom from that which once bound us. For the people of Israel, people of Judah, they understood something about the need for this freedom because they were under the threat of foreign occupation. Uh, but what we will see is, uh, as we move to the New Testament, is the fact that in, with the coming of the Messiah, with the coming of Christ, there is a freedom that he brings, not so much from a, a, an invading army, but rather from a greater enemy, from the bondage of sin. And then when God's hope is fulfilled, he explains there will also be victory. And so we see that in verse 5. For every boot of the trampling warrior in tumult, every garment that is rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. How will this come about? How will it come about? It will come about because God's hope has a name. We see in the next verses this glorious declaration for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so after explaining or after describing the hope that is found when we put our 
hope in God. After explaining what that's going to look like, he then points to the promised one, the coming of Jesus. And he identifies him for us in what appears in the English to be four names, but in fact, in the original language, is a single title. But how are we to understand these words of wonderful counselor? Well, in our contemporary world today, we tend to think of a counselor as somebody that we go and sit in their office, lie down on their couch, and tell them our feelings. That's, that's, not, that, that's not the kind of counselor this is talking about. Rather, it is a, it, it is a, 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 a legal counselor. It, it is one who is wise in all of his ways and who comes alongside to support and to represent We may look at this title and ponder, how could it be that the people of Israel missed the fact that when the Messiah came, that he would not be just a mere man, but would be the son of God himself? Because the second aspect of this title is the declaration that he is mighty God. This is not just any figure. This is not just a promised child who would be born. But he is mighty God. That he is fully divine. And this, this term mighty speaks of the fact that he is all powerful. That he is omnipotent. There, there is no power. That there is no might. That there is no authority. That does not belong to him. It seems strange that here he is described as everlasting father. Because we often think in terms of uh, uh, God the father. Christ the son. And the Holy Spirit. But here speaking of, of, of the coming Messiah. Speaking of Jesus. He is described not only as wonderful counselor. Mighty God. But also as everlasting father. This speaks of the fact that he is from eternity. To eternity. That is that he has no beginning and no end. Though, he, uh, though Jesus was, was born in Bethlehem. Laid in, in the manger. That incarnation, that coming of Christ that we celebrate in this season of Christmas was not where the story of the Christ begins. For he has always existed from eternity past. Being fully God, he has no beginning and no end. He is everlasting and like a father, he is gracious and tender and loving in his dealings toward his children. He is the prince of peace. Not only the one who brings about outward peace, but also the one who brings along the shalom, the, the, the wholeness and fullness of peace in the lives of his people. We have this declaration that he is not only these things, that he is also the perfect and everlasting king. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever more and then he will take the throne not through a skilled 
and convincing campaign. But the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God himself will establish his throne forever and ever and ever. And so to a people who were tempted to be like everybody else around them, chasing after all sorts of different things, looking for a hope in hopeless places, God through his prophets says, don't be like them. Instead, live in such a way that everybody around you will see what you fear, will see what your, where your hope is, and know that your hope is in this Messiah who is Jesus. Now, we stand in a different place today, of course, because we, in a sense, are in the now but not yet Isaiah was writing some 740 years before the events of Bethlehem. For those who received this message back then, this was all yet future. But for us today, we stand on the other side of the cross. Jesus has come and he is our hope. He took on flesh and came and dwelt amongst us, lived a perfect and sinless life bore our sins in his body on the cross, died, was buried, and rose again victorious three days later, ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand, and he is coming again. And in this we have hope. And so as we look at the words of the prophet Isaiah here, we see uh, this beautiful picture of now but not yet. We see that it has been fulfilled and yet we are waiting its fulfillment. Our hope has come. There is now freedom and victory through Christ. There is now salvation and forgiveness through Christ. And yet we look forward. To that day where he will come again, not as a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. But as a conquering king and judge, riding on a white horse, coming to rule and to reign and to do so in justice and righteousness. He is coming and all things will be put right. And in this we hope. Our hope is in our faithful God, our, our coming Messiah. At least I hope that it is. Because you see, if truly our hope is in our faithful God, in our, in our coming Messiah, that changes everything. It's not that we don't struggle. It's not that we don't face times where we feel kind of overwhelmed by situations and circumstances that crop up in our day. But very quickly, we lift our eyes above those circumstances and we look again to the one who holds it all in the palm of his hands. And so while other people are increasing in anger, while other people are, 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 are saying conspiracy this and conspiracy that, while other people are saying, well, if we can just get this person into the political office or if we can just pass this law, the follower of Jesus Christ 
says, my hope, my hope is in the faithful one. My hope is in Christ. And I will not fear any but him. But how do we do this? How do we live in light of this hope? Well, in Christ, who is our hope. So we've already stated we have restoration where there once was only anguish. In fact, in this passage, what we see in a sense is kind of a series of great reversals. Where once there was anguish, now we have restoration and hope. And so, again, if you are here and you feel like you're in that place of, of, of feeling worthless, of feeling overwhelmed by the hurt, the pain, the grief of a lost loved one, of a lost dream. Of an abuse. We have somewhere else to look. And it is to the one. Who stands with arms open wide. Saying come here my. Beautiful. Precious. Beloved child. In Christ who is our hope. We are transferred from darkness. To light. That we have now purpose and direction and clarity because we have a God who has redeemed us, drawn us out of darkness. In fact, in our study in recent weeks as we're in the book of Colossians, we saw there in Colossians chapter 1 this glorious truth that in Him, in Christ, we have been transferred from the domain of darkness... And transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. We once were in darkness. Separated from the light of the presence of God. Without hope and without help. But now if you're in Jesus Christ. You belong to him. And you are never alone. And never without a helper. In Christ who is our hope we find Increase of joy. It is hard in the midst of a fearful world to find reason for joy. Some of us this past week had to search far and wide to find something to share that we were thankful for because in our inner being, we've been feeling just overwhelmed with fear, with anxiety. But when we come before our God, we have an abiding joy because we know that what we see in the here and now is not all there is. Because we discover that when we, when we grow to know him more and more, we learn to delight in him. And when we delight in him, our, our, our soul just wells up in praise and thankfulness. 
And in a sense, we receive a new set of lenses through which we can see, one that is not characterized any longer by by fear and shame, but by joy and thanksgiving. In Christ, who is our hope, we are set free from the oppressor of sin that once enslaved us, just as we see this uh, being set free this victory over the enemy here in this passage. So we see this great uh, transition, this great uh, uh, exchange from captivity to freedom. And it may be that some of us here this morning, we've never actually come to that place of acknowledging our need of Jesus Christ. Uh, We're here because this is Thanksgiving weekend. We've enjoyed Thanksgiving with family and family that we were enjoying it with said, hey, come to church. We're like, I don't really want to go. But to keep the peace, I will. Maybe that's you this morning. I want to let you know that every single one of us is in a desperate and helpless situation apart from God. That is it, that we have, we have sinned against him. A sin is to miss the mark. A sin is to go our own way rather than God's way. And that has left us separated from him. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear our sins, to pay the debt of them so that we could be reconciled to God. So that our sins could be forgiven and that we could experience the relationship with him that we were created for. Friends, your life will never be complete apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because you were made for a relationship with him. And so whether you feel it or not, and some of you feel it, a sense of being enslaved to stuff in your life, and others are like, I don't know that I feel like I'm enslaved. The reality is that apart from God, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and for the forgiveness of your sins, you are separated from God and you are enslaved to that which is in opposition to God. But in Christ, we can be set free. We have victory now over death and hell because this Savior, this one who has come, has defeated them and holds the keys of death and hell in the palm of his hands. So we don't need to fear. Though we may not know what tomorrow brings, we know the God who holds it. And we have now a wonderful counselor one to whom we can always turn, a mighty God for whom nothing is impossible, an everlasting Father who does not change, a Prince of Peace who will still that which seems tumultuous in our lives and fill us with His peace. And so finally, we can face each day when we set our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ Not only knowing that which he has made available for us now, but knowing that he is coming again and that when he comes, all that is broken will be restored. All that is wrong will be made right. All that is unjust will be judged. And we will see him face to face. And in this, we hope. And so, while we may not know what it is to be surrounded by the threat of foreign invading armies like they did in Isaiah's day, we do know what it is to endure trials and struggles and 
seeming darkness of this world. We know what it is to live surrounded by fearful people who are going from one fearful thing to the next because they don't know where to put their hope. But Jesus Christ is our hope. He has brought restoration and light and joy and freedom and victory for those who will put their faith in him. And as we prepare for Christmas, that's the reason that we celebrate. We don't just look back on that which he has done. We continue to look forward to his coming again. We look as we stand as those who have hope, even when it's hard to see, because we know that his word is true and his promise is sure. And God's promise is the assurance that he gives to us, his people, so that we can keep walking by faith, even as we wait for him. So where do we place our hope? We place it in our faithful God, our coming Messiah. May we live in such a way that the hope that we have is obvious for all to see. Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God. That though we are often prone to chase after all sorts of other things and to find ourselves like so many others, overwhelmed and fearful by this and that, by the latest piece of news that comes, Lord, help us to set our hope firmly on Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that as we enter into this Advent season, it is a time for us to remember again the faithfulness of your promise that just as you made clear some 700 years before in the days of Isaiah, that Christ indeed has come. And so when we read about his coming again, we can do so with confidence and certainty because your promises do not fail. But Lord, today I especially want to pray for any who are here or joining us online who may feel overwhelmed with a sense of hopelessness. Oh Lord, would you open their eyes that they could look to you. And Lord, would your light shine so brightly as to cast out the darkness and the shadow that feels so pressing on them. May they see the hope and the promise that is in Jesus and turn to him and receive new life. Lord, take that which is ugly, broken, and in anguish in our lives and make it glorious for your glory, we pray. And may we, not only in this Advent time, but all year round, live in such a way that our confidence in you is so great, our hope in you is so sure, that people step up and take notice and wonder, what is it that is so different that we might be able to introduce them also to the God of hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Well, would you stand and sing with us one last song?
King of Kings. Again, as we continue this Advent journey over these coming weeks, the prophets of old, as they foretold the coming of Christ, did so to remind and encourage the people of the hope that we have in our Savior. And so I would encourage you to be an encourager of hope, even now as we enjoy fellowship with one another. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Go now to love and serve the Lord as ambassadors of hope. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.